1: Andy Moore, Automotive Group hotline from ESPN.com. He is our friend of the show, Stephen Holder with us. Stephen, I kind of laid it out this way. Uh, The Colts got, with no primetime games, exactly what I expected and what they deserve for a 4-12-1 type of season. However, I think what it did do, it did spring, even with a quarterback with the relative inexperience of Anthony Richardson as a rookie, assuming he is going to be that starter. It gives an opportunity of competitive hope. It may not give you a lot of greatness, and oh my goodness, I can't wait until that game, but it gives you, if you're a Colts fan, I think some competitive hope, does it not? I think so. It
2: is It is really dangerous to look back at last year's records and, and look at strength of schedule, okay? So I'm going to go on record saying that. Now, that being said, if you do do that, they have the fourth easiest, quote-unquote, Schedule uh, in the NFL this year, I think you know the division pairings are are somewhat fortunate for them. The you know the NFC South doesn't really scare people this year. They're they're playing the I believe the AFC North. Uh, certainly, there's a couple teams in there that you got to worry about, but there's also you know some teams that are in transition. You know, like you know uh, Pittsburgh and you know what is Cleveland going to look like? I don't know. You know, so there's there are opportunities there. I also think. excuse me, the front end, even though that Jacksonville game opening week is is probably going to end up being tougher than than anyone expects because, you know, it's week one. (laughs) But that being said, I mean, Jacksonville, Houston, I'm looking at it here, Baltimore, Rams, Tennessee, that's your first five. I mean, that's a very, very, very manageable opening slate for the Colts. I ain't predicting they're going to be good. I'm just saying. If they can be competent, you should be competitive and you should, you know, have a chance to win some of these games.
1: Well, I look at it like this and I think I've, I've given you this description before. And I know I've said it a number of times here. I, I think that they need to create a season, produce a season, much like we saw with the Pacers. And I'm not automatically suggesting that they don't make the postseason or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But you want. To start where the cults are starting right now, obviously, with a 20-year-old rookie quarterback and building for the longer-term future, but you want to give this fan base reasons to be excited. Now, you look at face value of that schedule, there's not a lot of names and a lot of teams that do that, but if you can pop a win here or there, build some excitement that hasn't been there in a bit, then... I think that's exactly what this fan base needs here moving forward. And really, I think it's the type of schedule where you can get some guys acclimated that you absolutely have to get acclimated, and that's starting with a rookie quarterback, Steven.
2: Yeah, I have felt for a very long time that that this was never about this season. It's it's not, for me at least, about wins and losses. It isn't. And it's kind of repeating what you just said. It's about... I want to see what the future holds. I want to get a glimpse of what the future holds. We're going to know everything about Anthony Richardson by the time this season is over. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, you know how this is a process, right? You can look at like Dustin Fields, for example, and you can see progression with him, but you also can admit that like he's not a finished product. You know, so uh, that that's totally possible. That could happen, but but hopefully. It's a it's a more clear picture or a clearer picture sooner than later. You know, sooner than for example, Justin Fields, which has been you know, it's been a little bit of a tough go for him just because I think the team around him. Uh the Colts I think have a better team than, than Justin Fields had as a rookie and probably even last year, where they really didn't spend very much money on that roster. So they have a better supporting cast, I believe, right now than Justin Fields has had. And he did enough to show that, that he could be a long-term answer. And, you know, Anthony Richardson is in in many ways uh, has, has more going, you know, with his physical talent. So I don't know, man. I, I just think I'm with you. I do think it's really about show me something. I don't care what the record ends up being. I'm not saying you can't, I'm not saying that they, they should win or excuse me, lose winnable games If they're in the games. They should find a way to finish them. But It's not the end-all, be-all for me. It's about just show me something. Let's see where is this team going in the long term.
1: Well, this thing seemed just so absolutely juiceless. Going off wow. of last year, and and that's why I compared it to the Pacers because yeah. you know Rick Carlisle came on here and said in October, yeah, there's going to be some losing you're going to see, but hang with this, and it's all going to be for the better. And they won some games, surprised in December along the way, and kind of built that enthusiasm through the way that they played uh, by not setting the bar so high as Jim Ursay has been noted to do in the past. <laughs> I, to me, to me, this is perfect. This is a perfect schedule for this team to try to come around. Now, there's the other side of the coin, Stephen. If they don't play well with this schedule, then you're going to say, well, this team is in the absolute dungeon and not coming out anytime soon. But just eyeballing the basics of this schedule, I think this is what's needed for this team to build a little bit of enthusiasm that they have not had here in the past year.
2: I think you have to remember something that last year was terrible. 4-12-1 is is Absolutely terrible when you factor in what the expectations were, okay, we all agree on that now. you have to consider what it took to get to four twelve and one and look, this is not a defense of Frank Reich, but I mean, as bad as they were early on, that was a team that was three, five, and one, and with a few more breaks here and there, you know had had they had maybe not made the coaching change i don 't know what would have happened. Um, who knows? But the, here's the thing. Look what it took for them to get there. Lead the league in, in turnovers. Have absolute, uh, absolute carnival at quarterback. Okay? They made four quarterback changes last year, man. It was an absolute, just a, a catastrophe of a season. That's what it took for them to, to get to the four wins. So what I'm saying is, if you have at least a pulse at quarterback, at least a pulse and you have an easier schedule, which I think is unquestionably true, you should fall into some wins. I think you could fall into some. I don't know how many. I don't care about the number, but I do think there are opportunities there. There's a lot of teams on this schedule that that got a lot of problems, just like the Colts got problems. So it ain't like they're they're in it themselves. There's a lot of other teams that they have company with here.
1: All right, so what's your call? And I'm sure you probably already put that out there. I had mentioned this this morning. I, I thought maybe seven wins, and that was before I saw the Vegas odds. As of right now, were were six and a half is the the over mm-hmm. under. Where are you going with it right now?
2: Yeah, I think I think seven is a good over under. Um, where do I fall? Uh, I I think I'm in the seven range myself, um, but. I can paint you a scenario where where they're on the over. I could I really could do that. I really could. I, I think I don't think it's that hard. Here here is what I know. I don't know if this is gonna work, but here is what I know. They have a they have a, a sort of an approach in mind, and that approach is this. Whenever Anthony Richardson gets out there, I don't know when that's gonna happen, but whenever he takes the field They think they have a little bit of an advantage. I think he's going to play at least in a package early on. I really expect that. So whether Minshew starts initially, I don't know. But I think you'll see Anthony Richardson in some capacity early in the season, perhaps even week one, in some capacity – and they'll put him out there, and the defense is going to have nothing to go on. I mean, they know he's going to run the ball somewhat, but they don't know what it's going to look like. New coach, new system, new quarterback. That is the Colts thing. That is an advantage. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see whether that actually holds true. But I, I think there's a possibility that they're onto something there. And it may not, it, it may not be an advantage in week twelve or thirteen, but at least initially, they think it could be an advantage. So that my point to your earlier question on the schedule, at least that first half of the schedule, take advantage of that when you can.
1: So Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline: Does this thing shake out as far as the AFC South is concerned? I mean, obviously, if this thing can work out with the three rookie quarterbacks getting that opportunity and being able to sustain, how this look when you add them with Trevor Lawrence for the more distant future to you at that position? Oh, I, I think it has the
2: possibility to have some real rivalries there. You know, I, I think that is, you know, I think what the expectation should be. Um, you know, we've seen this in in other you know, in other divisions, we haven't seen it in the AFC South lately, (laughs) but, but there definitely have been instances like that. I mean, don't you think that, that uh, in the AFC North, that, that Lamar Jackson and, you know, say, I don't know, the, you know, against the Bengals, right? I mean, (laughs) you're going to see battles between those quarterbacks, you know, for, for many, many years to come. I think that's a good example of maybe, I'm not saying these guys will ever get to that level, but, you know, they, there's a good chance for young quarterbacks in this division, there's a good chance a couple of them are going to turn into really good quarterbacks. I don't know which ones, but the odds say that a couple of them will probably really develop into really good quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence is probably already on his way. And then the question is, you know, which team, you know, which, which, which quarterbacks from what teams are those guys? And then the other two may fizzle out or, or maybe just be just be okay, right? But I do think the odds are in our favor that a couple of these guys, at least, will be really good. And that'll add some excitement to the division. And the, hopes, the, the Colts have to hope they have one of those two guys.
1: <laughs> hey, Stephen, final thing before I let you go, and, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, I'm not sure, but I'll ask you anyway. Um, when did the Colts find out that their destination was going to be Frankfurt, Germany, and were they happy with that compared to being able to go to London again?
2: There, there was a rumor of that in recent weeks. I had heard that rumor, uh, but I, I didn't. I, I had no, I had no idea whether they knew for sure or not. Um, so I don't know when they. But the rumor was out there, and because and I, I have to imagine that the league didn't just drop it on them when they made the announcement. That's not how those things work. They, they will get some heads up. And, and so, and even when they're thinking about it in, in sort of determining who may or may not go, you know, there's conversations with the league, even at that point. So um, I, I think I could tell you from an ownership perspective, Jim Mercer loves these opportunities. Like I was there with him in London, you know, a few years ago and he was like a pig in slop. He loves that because it, it puts yeah. you in the spotlight. It puts your team in the spotlight. And he loves when his team is in the spotlight. That's why he loves primetime appearances and all that. So, so from an ownership perspective and, and from a, you know, the, the, the executive top-down perspective, I'm sure they love it. Uh, it doesn't cost them a home game either. So if you do go overseas, you want to go when it's not your game and the, that way your fans don't lose a game. So I think from that perspective, they like it a lot. From a football perspective, it's tough, and it does make your life more challenging. So <laughs> they probably don't love it on that side of the building.
1: I, I just kind of wonder if they dig. I'd heard that uh, the allotment is going to be around 600 because of the size of the stadium ticket-wise. Oh, I don't expect um, it to be a lot. Yeah,
2: it's not a yeah, don't yeah, right?
1: so remember. I, just, I, I wonder how much they love that. I think for 2016 yeah. in London – I think they got 1,000 for friends and family of the team, and then 1,000 for the fans. I think that's the way that it went. But mm-hmm. that's certainly a hell of a lot more than 600, I think, that the fans are going to get. So that may end up being for those fans. Much like me, I really love going to London. I like to go to Germany. But I, I yeah. kind of wonder just how much of an option that's going to be and how valuable, how, how hot a commodity that ticket may end up being. I guess we'll see.
2: No, it's a good question. I I do think you, you have a couple of variables here. You have the size of the stadium, which is notable, but it, I think it's what 46,000, I believe. So you, you've got that as a variable, and then the other variable is that it's a it's a Patriots home game. So if if there is any sizable allotment, they're going to have more of it. You know, they're going to have the the lion's share of that. I also understand that. The Patriots have something of a fan base over there in Europe. Just I think Tom Brady kind of globalized that team a little bit anyway. So so they've got that going, too. The, the tickets that are sold to Europeans, Germans, etc. cetera, uh, there may be quite a few Patriots fans among that group. So, look, this ain't going to be a favorable uh, venue for the Colts as far as I can tell.
1: So Stephen Oler of ESPN.com on and the Andy Moore Automotive Group. Uh, on the day after the official release of the Colts, 2023 schedule. Stephen, have a great weekend. We'll catch up again soon. Thank you. All right, my friend. See you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis, it's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore out of Mudiff Group Hotline from Forbes.com. WTHR, you can find his work there as well. We'll talk a little NBA now with Tony East. Tony, welcome to the show on this Friday. How are you doing? I'm good, JMB, Sounds like you're having quite the day, too. It's a lot going on right here, buddy. There's a lot going on. So it is a good place to be on this Friday. I'm assuming a bad place to be would be uh, Phoenix right now, right? <laughs> and you look at what transpired with them last night. And I mentioned this because I can't lie. I do gloat a little bit regarding Miles Turner and the season he had and the extension and what, you know, I guess DeAndre Ayton and his future may or may not be in Phoenix but how fortunate are the Pacers that now Phoenix decided to go ahead and match that offer sheet of last July and move forward with Ayton and now be in the position in which they are in Phoenix? How much of a good fortune was that for the Pacers, all in all? I remember, Jamie, you and I last we were talking about we were the
0: only two that thought it was strange to trade Turner in that transaction. It worked out exceedingly well for the Pacers, right? I mean, Ayton, for all the things he can do well. Did not fit well once they got Durant with that team and played with just no force in that postseason series at all for Phoenix to the point that you know Jock Landale was playing as many minutes as him in the last game that both of those centers were healthy for the Suns, and then he's injured and doesn't even play in game six. And, of course, I'm sure you know Aiton and fans of Aiton will say, well, they got smoked without him in the final game, and that is true. But, yeah, definitely not a series or playoffs to remember for him, not quite the season. That he won, and even remember he got to Phoenix and Monty Williams. I think said they hadn't talked since the end of last season before. So certainly not the best situation for him. But from the Pacers' standpoint specifically, Turner was fantastic for them. They got to extend him on a deal at a cheaper rate than Aiton got even from them on the contract the summer before. And Turner was just as good as
1: as Aiton this season. I mean, the Pacers really had the best of both worlds in this whole situation. So Tony East talking NBA Pacers and more with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So this time of year, kind of interesting to look at because the more disappointing teams always end up having some changeover. Now we've seen that with the head coach and Mike Budenholzer certainly in Milwaukee, uh, but you also see that in terms of personnel. Now you see all these stories about Chris Paul. You know, you heard stories before last night about Jalen Brown and. After last night's gag, you're going to hear stories about the Sixers if they're bounced in seven, I'm sure, about personnel that may or may not or could be available. Is there anybody out there right now on one of these disappointing teams that you think a team like the Pacers, with some money to spend in of the off season, may have some interest as a part of?
0: Yeah, they got to be watching all these teams that are going to change direction or do whatever is going to happen next for them, right? And I think – the best player who could maybe wiggle free might be Chris Middleton with the Bucks, and you know, he just had a down year coming off of an injury with Milwaukee. But there obviously changes have already started with that franchise, like you said, with Budenholzer being fired after they saying they lost in the first round. It just, just brushes over how bad that series was for them. I mean, they got steamrolled and smacked and everything by that Miami team. In five games, and, and Middleton was not particularly good in that in that series. He has a player option, but he, at his best, has been just awesome for them. He was a big part of their championship team a few years ago, right, which, of course, is a trait that the Pacers would want. Uh, three-time All-Star, yes, three times in the last five years he's been an All-Star, over 20 points a game score, and the big thing for the Pacers is, one, he can shoot, of course, that's valuable, but he plays on the wing, right, and they really, really need guys at that position. The, so of course, troubling part is he's 31, right? That's the wrong side of 34. Their current timeline, but if he is a guy who turns down a player option, becomes available, perhaps could be one uh, that they look at. Philly's weird because outside of James Harden, a lot of their guys are under contract for next season, so not anybody there. If they change directions, the Suns have no depth, (laughs) not a lot of interesting talent that could wiggle free. So Boston, you look at, they have kind of a lot of interesting pieces. I'll be fascinated to see what they do, right? If they lose their game seven to Philly, does Jalen Brown, does he turn down a supermax and become free? He'd be a guy you'd have to trade for, but, I mean, in terms of timeline and skill, like almost exactly what the Pacers need, right? So a Celtics loss would certainly be something that I think the Pacers would be interested in seeing as the playoffs progress. But those seem like the team's most likely to have at least some sort of roster change given how the first round went, and I'm sure every team, Pacers included, will have their eyes on them.
1: So Tony East joins us again. It's uh, Forbes.com, com, uh, Locked On Pacers. You can find him everywhere covering the Pacers. Tony's via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. How much in and around, because this is a team that obviously wasn't a part of, you know, what, what we're talking about right now, and they've been gone for a while. That's the Toronto Raptors. Um, you would expect with Nick Nurse being gone, uh, some major turnover there. Does that give you thought? that maybe there could be even escalated interest in Ananobi from a Pacer standpoint? Because that's been a rumor that's been out there, quieted down. I'm assuming at some point it's going to amp back up. How much of a realistic possibility is Ananobi from a Pacer standpoint to you? He's a great player,
0: <laughs> of course. He's only 25. He turns 26 later this year. But he's, ex- I mean, he is on paper and even in real life, like a a perfect fit in terms of his skill set, his tenacity on defense, his age, right? His contract is short. He's a player option for the season, not the one coming up, but the one after that. So really only one more guaranteed year on his deal. But these rumblings started, I think, last summer. Jake Fisher over at Yahoo Sports reported a story about, you know, Ananobi and his role with the Raptors, that team that has, Scotty Barnes, has Pascal Siakam, right, has other forwards that demand the ball, not necessarily guards. I don't think you know. I think all players in the league know that ball handlers are going to have the ball more. But his role just has not been very huge uh, with Toronto for at, at all in his career. So if the Raptors' plan next season is truly, you know, we, we switch our coach and hope we can be good enough to to run this thing back, right? Ananobi's usage, 19.5 percent, that's below league average, right? That's a pretty small number just in general for a player of his on a talent and size level, if they are just kind of flipping the coach over and he's still at a, at a smaller role than maybe he wants, that might be not be amenable to him. And I'm not saying that they will or won't trade him, but that's a small role for a guy who probably thinks he's he's better than that. And if he is free, free to, to be had in the trade, which I don't know if he is or isn't, but it sounds like a lot of teams had interest in him this past season. I mean, he is the exact type of player in terms of, you know, an all defense type, a good shooter, you know, that is exactly what they need on the wing. And he's in their perfect kind of age range to grow forward. If they could offer him an extension, he is a great fit for the Pacers should the Raptors change direction and not maintain him.
1: Yeah. What what do you think? Is that your expectation that will happen there? I think
0: they're going to try to do what the Pacers tried before last season. I think they're going to change their coach and hope that their team can kind of look similar and be better with a, a new voice, but that didn't work for the Pacers, right? They had to rebuild, and it worked out fantastic for them. They have Tyrese Halbert now. We'll see if it works in Toronto. Maybe I'm wrong, and they make a ton of changes across the board. But, you know, they were adding talent to their core during the season, like Jakob Pearl. They traded a first-round pick four. So I truly think their decision-makers believe in their team, but the question is if, if a new coach doesn't fix it, what will? At some point, you've got to change directions a little bit.
1: You know, Tony, to be fair, too, getting back to the Aiton thing, um, obviously once Durant got there especially, he got even more covered up than he was before. Would he have been workable, as workable, more workable in this system with Tyrese Halliburton as we have seen Miles transform into this past year? Would you trust that that would happen as long as the guy that's pulling the trigger is Tyrese Halliburton? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that's the case. And I think, you know, it's interesting looking back at
0: Ayton's kind of statistical profile in his career through the years. Like, his really good playoff run, right, that year they made the finals and he was playing good defense and scooping up every rebound and shot, like, almost 70% from the field. That was Chris Paul's, like, best year with the Suns, right? He had a really good point guard on his team that could kind of run the show, get him the ball in good spots, and make it happen. And, you know, some of Ayton's decline is – himself right you can see him play and see him be less engaged you know there's that viral clip of him just standing there while Jokic battles for a rebound and the Nuggets score but at the same time on the offensive side of the ball like his possessions have been more challenging right as Paul's kind of become worse and they've gotten different talent in the door with Durant too who's not as good of a setup man so I think that's part of it and the reason that's rolling for the Pacers is of course they have Halliburton who can be You know, one one of the best setup men in the league, right? Playing with him is something that the franchise thinks could be appealing to other free agents. You know, it was reported by Dave Fisher again that uh, Halliburton was involved in the pitch day last summer, right? And he did end up signing with the Pacers before the Suns ultimately matched that deal. So I certainly think he would help. I think the way he plays, Halliburton plays in pick and roll and in the open floor would be great for any big man, especially one like Aiton who... Is kind of bouncy and can make plays around the rim. And you know, I think, as evidenced by Chris Paul's kind of decline, a better point guard would be better for him. And I think if he does end up on a different team at some point, that, that'll that help him.
1: So, Tony East with us. The draft lottery, the selection process, is coming up next week. Um, what are, The odds dictate to you what, as we sit here and talk about it right now? Yeah, the the odds are so confusing. <laughs> See, I mean, it's just <laughs> well. That's why I'm leaning over. on you for this.
0: <laughs> They've got about a a one in like twelve chance of the number one pick, and I mean that is that's franchise changing. That's I mean that's everything for this draft. Wembenyama looks like he could be one of the best to, to one of the best prospects ever at this stage. Like he's not coming to the lot or, uh Excuse me, the draft combine. Uh, because his team is still playing in France, because their season is still going. And he's the best player in that league as, you know, a 19-year-old. He's incredible on both ends of the floor. In terms of jumping into the top four, about a 30% chance for the Pacers to do that. The top three certainly looks like it's a little bit different than four through maybe eight or nine. So jumping into the top three would, of course, be significant for the Pacers. Uh, There's about a 7% little under that chance for every single pick that is drawn that it will be the Pacers, so one, two, three, and four. So they've got good shots, good-ish shots of jumping up, but of course they won't be the favorites to do so. Last year they were at five, but the lottery they ended up at six. Right, They got jumped by one team. So we'll see if they can do it. The last two teams that jumped up the last two years were the Kings who had the seventh best odds, and I believe the Pelicans who had the seventh best odds. And, hey, there you go, the Pacers have the seventh best odds this year. So history says maybe, uh, and they would really like to see that happen, of course.
1: I, I know today, too, they, they brought in some players before that uh, that draft combine, and I guess the top of the list is Jaime Jaquez out of UCLA. Now, collegiately, I loved watching this dude play. Uh, he was fun as hell to watch. He was tough as hell to watch. Um, I don't know as far as the Pacers are concerned. Uh, you know, Maybe with one of their other picks – again i don't know if they're going to even end up keeping those but he was one of i believe six brought in today but let's just say tony for the sake of this argument in the range in which you believe they're going to be drafting with this lottery selection is there a player that you think a player or two you think would be available that would be a good fit here yeah there's a couple of guys i like in the you
0: know, seven, eight, nine range where they could end up if they don't jump up. You know, of course, there's the Thompson twins, Miller, Henderson, and and at the top. But uh, Jarris Walker is one that I think a lot of locals have have kind of dug into and really liked his motor at Houston. Really impressive. He's got good size, right? A little more of an interior presence. I think he'd fit fit pretty well with what they need. Anthony Black from Arkansas is more wing size, but can put the ball on the floor a little more and can also defend pretty well at that position and taylor Hendricks has gotten to be uh, a buzzy name as well for similar to jaris walker like he's a big wing defensive type who can grab some boards he's a really good you know defensive player i think he's probably the best defender of the three names i've said uh out of central florida he's six foot nine right the exact height that they need i think those guys because of their defensive abilities will likely be you know chattered about a lot if the pacers don't jump up in this ladder. you know there are some other talents in that range with cam whitmore and grady dick from kansas but i think given the pacers need for defense right now i think you'll hear the names i just said
1: more often in this uh, lead up to the draft he is tony east on the andy Moore out of modif group hotline you maintain that buddy heel is going to be a part of this equation playing I, I i wouldn't suggest for the full season but will he start the season and your belief on this team
0: that's a great question. You know, I think the end of the season sort of tip that maybe he won't be a starter next season. If he is back, right? Matherin did move in I think for the last eight games for the Pacers as, as their starter. And when Kevin Pritchard was asked at his end of season kind of exit interview media availability, you know, he talked about uh buddy healed and a potential contract extension next season. And he said, we've got to find a role that makes sense for buddy healed and, and that everybody's a part of. And, you know they I don't know if they think they found that yet if he's saying things like that and so if he if he's coming off the bench and he doesn't love that role or anything like that perhaps they they don't think he's a part of their future but I mean he was huge for them this past season right he played every single game he was healthy enough to plan. he's a fantastic shooter which provides spacing for a lot of the other guys on this team right he is valuable to what they do I think they'd be happy to have him back but at the same time he's going to be an expiring contract next year he's you know on the wrong side of 30 right there is some certainly if he starts the season with them they'll be looking to trade him before the deadline if there's no extension just given his contract so it wouldn't surprise me if he was a guy that they you know listen to calls on or, or look to move just because of his contract situation and, and moving to the bench uh if, if Matherin ends up starting so I, I think there is good sense in him potentially being traded but also I mean he's talented right if he was back he's close with Halliburton they played together their whole career I mean that would make a lot of sense
1: too Hey, Tony, I view both these guys essential in two different ways. And obviously, Buddy Heald's shooting is just so radically important in the NBA that I don't think that, especially with the growth of this Pacer team, they can afford to lose that. And I also equate, you know, as far as, you know, being able to push this up and move forward and maintain, I don't think they can afford to lose the energy off the bench of TJ McConnell. I think that both of those scenarios, if they were to get rid of either one would stunt their growth. Do you view that the same? Or am I looking at this without looking with, you know, outside options that would be just as good? Or do you kind of understand if you lose that, you lose something that could stunt the growth of this team with both McConnell and healed. What do you think? That makes sense to me. Just like, you know,
0: good veterans who can provide spacing or get young guys the ball at the right time in the right place and uh, just been around and done the NBA thing for a long time, I think that's super valuable for these younger players, right? We talk a lot about George Hill and, and James Johnson as vets, but there's there's different value in the veterans who are actually playing, and I think Heald and McConnell have that kind of voice as well as what they provide on the floor, right? When Heald's out there, even if he doesn't touch the ball, like it's a four-on-four possession for everybody yeah. else because his defenders just glued to him, right? Like that space is super helpful yes.
1: for yes.
0: these young guys. McConnell's their only guy besides Halliburton who every possession can get into the lane, right, and make a defense rotate and kick it out to somebody else. Like that is incredibly valuable for these young guys. So it, it, they're in a tricky spot with both of them in that, in theory, they could be on the last guaranteed deal, year of their deal for both next year, and they're both over 30. But at the same time, they are helpful for this team, right? So if they are trying to make the playoffs, as they've said, and Kevin Pritchard talked about 45 wins or 50 wins, whatever, right, they're going to be important to that chase. So it, it, the question is what kind of timeline are they on? If they're going for it next year, I think they're more valuable than if they kind of have one more rebuilding year or building year. I don't even know if rebuilding is correct anymore. One more building year left in the tank, right? But I think you're absolutely right that they're both very helpful for the young guys when they're playing.
1: Oh, you're so right about healed in terms of – Defensively, I mean, your your guy. If you're the other team, your guy stuck to him. You can't leave. You right. can't go double. And that is, to me, that is such a massive advantage. I was just thinking in terms of just knock down threes, which we know what that is worth now in this era of the NBA. But you also go further in terms of you know having a guy that can't leave the general vicinity of Buddy Hield to go double or anything else. That's invaluable as well in this era of the NBA. It absolutely
0: is, right? That's like even Doug McDermott to a smaller extent kind of had a similar effect when he was here, he, when he was their best shooter. Like teams were terrified of leaving him open or letting him get a half step when he was doing that little two man game with Sabonis that they did so well together. And like you can just look through the numbers of points per possession, right? When Buddy Hields in the game, the Pacers score like three more points for 100 possessions right like that's a lot that's like basically three points a game over the course of a right. full game and and that's not just his offensive ability obviously he's a good offensive player that's also how much easier he makes it on everybody else especially Tyrese Halliburton uh, when they're out on the floor and their synergy certainly is a big value for this team as well and their two-point percentage is actually the number that jumps up the most when he in the game versus when he's not right and I think that is the testament to the spacing he provides that those looks at the rim and inside the, the arc are way more open or are way easier to do. There's less double coverage. Like you said, covering from somewhere else.
1: You think they had all shop miles this summer,
0: man? I mean, I don't, I don't think he, they're going to shop him necessarily, but I do think his contract is so good. And he just had his best ever season that, I mean, if the mother load offer comes, do you consider, I mean, it, it depends, right? If they get the number one yeah. pick and it's, and when Benyama's on the table, you have to think about it, right, especially after the season he just had. But, I mean, he proved to be so valuable to them this past season. Like, when Turner and Halliburton played, they had the same win percentage as the Heat did, right? They would have been in the postseason mix if they could have, granted, playing the whole season is rare these days. But if they could have, they'd be kind of at that level of team. And obviously Miami has raised their level in the postseason. But, I mean, they they were good when both of those guys played. They fit well together. I certainly don't think they'll be – call another team saying hey what would you offer for miles turner but i think there is a chance that some team offers a a crazy high offer for him given how good his contract is right now and the type of season he just had and you know smart teams listen to calls on basically everybody so uh, i don't i don't necessarily expect that he would be dealt but i I think it'd be stupid for them to just totally ignore the idea especially if they get that number one pick.
1: Yeah, see, this is just my guess here, especially the way things just ended so badly again for Phoenix as we started this conversation and talking about. Would you think that one of those first calls, if Phoenix really wanted to go a different direction, I don't know you know how many options they have right now because um, they're locked up. I mean, it's, they ate a block of yeah. cheese in terms of what their roster is and <laughs> what they're paying and, and how much mobility they have in, in doing something. Would one of those first calls be if they did feel the need to try to unload uh, DeAndre Ayton? Wouldn't that be here?
0: Maybe so, but, I mean, (laughs) if you're the Pacers, would you even do? do No, no. Well,
1: you know what (laughs) I think about that. I just, I mean, because I, I put this in terms of, and I believe what you're saying here, too. I don't think the Pacers will actively shop him, but I do think that when the phone rings, they'll pick it up. And I would guess if Phoenix, you know, was kind of sick and tired of the whole Aiton thing here and wanted to move on, that they would probably reach out. Now, I don't think they would do it, they being the Pacers, yeah. but I certainly think Phoenix would work, Would reach out.
0: I was so, I was sort of wondering last offseason if the reason the Suns weren't rushing in to sign – eight into something is because they were hoping they could kind of strong arm the Pacers into a sign and trade where it was just Turner right. trading straight yes. up. And,
1: I agree and with you happen. on that. I do. That's something we didn't talk about, but I agree with that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it, that's hard by them to try that. But the Pacers were like, why would we ever do that when we could just sign him? So now a year later, I don't even think they would, they would take something like that. Right. I'm sure the Suns might, might call and try, but the, the way that's, uh, again, the way we talked about that at the jump, like the way this has, has worked out has been, Excellent for the Pacers. We'll see where that ends up with Aiden. But, I mean, does he even have like a ton of positive trade value at this point? Like, he makes a lot yeah. of money per year, and you just saw what that got the Suns in the playoffs. He was, again, he was fine. I'm not saying he was necessarily a negative, but I don't think anyone's rushing to, to give the Suns a bunch of assets for him, if that makes
1: sense. No, I don't either. They're just, they're, they're in a big problem right now. I mean, they, they just, they have, they don't have a lot of assets to deal with. And if you want to try to unload, and they may end up, you know, you mentioned what they're doing in Toronto or or in probably even as well in Milwaukee in, in just changing the coach out and seeing if you can, you know, still get something going. I'm assuming that's what they're going to have to do in Phoenix, aren't they? Because of the, the yeah, problematic I'm, contracts they have. I think Monty Williams is an awesome coach, but I mean, you might have to, right? Like you got to yeah. show your fan base
0: something and they, they don't even have ticks to do anything else because they traded them all for KD, which you should do every time. But yeah, they almost have no other moves to kind of signal that sort of growth to make. And the other part of it is they have a new owner, right? Matt Ishbia is that, the owner now there, and so, you know he didn't hire James Jones to be the GM. He didn't hire Monty Williams to be the head coach. Maybe he loves both of them and he'll and he'll keep them around. But you know sometimes new owners do come in and make those sort of changes as well. So. I think Monty Williams is, a, is an awesome, awesome coach, but I would not be surprised if that happened, just given their last two years. I mean, on your home floor elimination games, getting completely waxed two years in a row, I mean, that, that's just brutal for a franchise.
1: What are you writing about, Tony?
0: Uh, Larry Bird was in, uh, in the building for the Pacers today, do, watching draft workouts, working on that, looking ahead to the lottery, all sorts of good stuff, as we're only
1: four days away from the draft combine, so all the draft chatter is about to heat up. Do they uh, lean on Larry's advice still? I mean, I know they probably listened to it, but is there any any lean there on any advice from Larry, or is he just visiting for the sake of visiting?
0: <laughs> no, I think he's still an advisor with the team. I mean, he didn't have – Scott Agnes reported last year, like he didn't have much of an active role with the team right. then. But, you know, he's back, he was back in there today. Certainly, I don't think they would have him in just – I mean, maybe he was just a guest, but I don't think he would just be sitting around doing nothing, right, especially for a draft workout of all kinds of events, right? He, he ran that team from, you know, 2003 to 2017, right? The, their last conference yeah. finals appearance he was the architect. Like, he knows what he's doing. So I think they're certainly listening to what he's saying.
1: It's uh, Tony East covers the Pacers. That's uh, SI Pacers, Forbes Sports, WTHR.com, Locked On Pacers okay. as well. Tony, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline, man. Tony, I appreciate that knowledge on the Pacers and the NBA at the end of this week. Enjoy your weekend. and I'm sure we'll do it again soon, especially once we find out the draft status with the Pacers next week. Thank you very much. You got
2: it. Take care.